Open our eyes, Lord, that we might see. Open our ears that we might hear. Open our mind and our heart that we might understand, so that we will turn to you and live. Well, we're at the seventh deadly sin. We've made it. Whenever I think of uh, the word gluttony, I think of a trip back from Dallas, Texas to Waco, Texas with my baseball team in a very small van with no air conditioning. And I think of Gary Grooms, uh, the largest guy on our team, and our stop at the Poncho's Mexican Buffet. (laughs) And we dared him to eat as many tacos as he could, and I think he made it to 16. I remember how awful the ride home was. <laughs> we are a hungry people. And there's nothing wrong with being hungry. In fact, uh, it's good to be hungry. The problem, though, is when we don't actually pay attention to our hunger long enough. If you'd like to look in your Bibles to the story we're going to look at for a moment this morning. It's in Exodus chapter 16. The whole Israelite community set out from Elam and came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they had come out of Egypt. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted, but you have brought us out into the desert to starve this entire assembly to death. And the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day, they are to prepare what they bring in and that is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. So Moses and Aaron said to all the Israelites, In the evening you will know that it was the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, and in the morning you will see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against him. Down in verse 11. The Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the Israelites. Tell them at twilight you will eat meat. And in the morning you will be filled with bread. Then you will know that I am the Lord, your God. Scripture seems to indicate that gluttony is not, first of all, a matter of calories. It's a matter of forgetfulness. It's a kind of forgetfulness that can turn into rebellion. In Eden, that first gluttonous bite came from sinfully forgetting that all they were biting, all they thought they craved, all that they really needed was actually freely given to them from God. At the time we we read this story in Exodus 16, it had only been a number of weeks since the Egypt miracle and God had brought his people out from Egypt's bondage. So God had delivered them from the most powerful kingdom that the history of the world up to that time had ever known. 
God had enacted plagues of locusts, the Nile turning to red, the death, that evil moment, uh, that awful moment of the, the, the death of the Egyptian firstborn sons. Israel had crossed to the Red Sea. Israel had seen the Egyptian military behind them, pushed away. Just before this story, they had been desperate for water in the scorching desert, and God made the bitter water sweet so they could drink it. And yet, they had already forgotten. And in their memory now, Egypt is where life was good. Egypt was where there had been pots of meat. They wanted to go back to Egypt so they could eat. And after all they had seen, how could they really possibly believe that they would starve? And God says he'll take care of them in a way that only God could do. As the chapter continues, he outlines exactly how this is going to happen. In the evening, God is going to send quail, meat, and it's going to fly right through their camp. And they're going to snag them and have plenty of meat to eat. And then each morning after that, whenever the people wake up, there would be this flaky substance on the ground, something like frost. It was manna. It was a flaky substance. It tasted like honey crackers. When I was growing up in Texas, they thought it was biscuits, but probably not. (laughs) But God was very clear about the instructions. Every morning, they were to gather only enough of this flaky, sweet substance to last them until the next day. The measurement was an omer per person. Apparently, it's really hard for us to know exactly what this measurement was, but maybe around two liters per person. And every morning, they would gather what they needed, and they were to enjoy it throughout the day, but not to try to keep any until the next morning. In this way, they began to live in a rhythm. And this rhythm was each morning as they woke, God would provide what they needed, and they would have all they needed, but it would only get them through until the next morning when they needed food again. Why would God do that? Well, we read it. God told them very specifically that every evening as they ate meat, they would know that the Lord had brought them out of Egypt. And every morning as they gathered manna, And as they ate on it throughout the day, they would see in the very food they're putting into their mouth, the glory of the Lord. And all of this eating and all of this feasting would culminate in them knowing, tasting that the Lord is good. That God supplied their needs. What Israel needed most was not meat or bread, what Israel needed most was God. What you or I need most is not meat or bread. What we need most is God. And there were two sinful responses to God's instructions. One of them was hoarding. Some of the people, the scripture says, actually would gather just what they were supposed to 
but they wouldn't eat it all that day. They would try to save some over to the next day. Fearful, I guess, that the next day come that God wouldn't show up, that the provision wouldn't be there, and that they would have something that they had taken care of on their own. But whoever did that, the next morning when they woke up and went to their little store that they had hid away, it was infested with maggots. It was stinky. It was like that trash that got left out too long while you were gone on vacation and you get back and it is just awful. Now each day on the sixth day, each week on the sixth day, they were allowed on those days to gather gather double because on the Sabbath there would be no gathering. There would be no work. So on the sixth day they would gather more And on the sixth day, they would prepare for two days' worth. And then on the Sabbath, they could just rest easy. Well, while some had hoarded, others gorged. They would get the double amount on the sixth day. But then on the seventh day, they would sneak out, hoping that perhaps there was some mistake and they'd find more on the seventh day, more than they actually needed. You get to Numbers 11, where probably around a year later, Israelites were now sick of this food. They were sick of the manna, sick of the quail. It wasn't enough. Their cravings, it seems, had gone wild. Numbers says they began to crave other food. Literally, it reads, they were craving a craving. I have a difficult uh, history with food. I have struggled with food my entire life. And, uh, you know, I've been to a therapist enough, good therapist to know, to be able to trace some of this. And, you know, going back to my childhood, there was lots of things we weren't allowed to do. We couldn't go to the movies. We couldn't dance. Um, There's a long list. But what we could always do was eat. We were always allowed to eat. So anytime we were sad, we would eat. Anytime we were angry, we would eat, because we certainly wouldn't talk about our anger, but we would eat it out. And anytime we were celebrating, we would eat. And if I think about it, there was lots of food, but I'm not sure there was lots of pleasure in food. And it actually has been, as I've gotten older and trying to work through these things and trying to think about what... What is it that food offers to me? What is, where is its dangers for me? And it's actually been wanting to enjoy the pleasure of food more, not less, which has been a, a long and slow and helpful way of thinking through these things. But the temptation for me, for many of us, is probably to gorge or to hoard. And there's so many ways to be gluttonous, and we probably are mistaken to think it's just about food. When we gorge, it's a glut. It's a glut of food, a glut of media, a glut of opportunities, a glut of stuff. We grab so much just because we can. We're so busy cramming our faces or our ears or our eyes that we no longer believe, really believe that God is the one we most crave. And you know, um, in our uh, sort of image-obsessed culture, there's even a way of 
being really obsessed about food when you're not eating very much. <laughs> it's being over-concerned about body image. And it's a really destructive thing. I mean, does, the call is to be whole and to be healthy. It's not to starve ourselves. And whenever body image and food issues and health come all entwined, I mean, these are places, too, where these could be really dangerous. And we need help. So some of us gorge. Some of us hoard. We're gluttonous for an image, for others' acceptance. We exercise feverishly. We hoard what we have. We pull into ourselves. We protect I had a college roommate when I was a freshman. He was a senior, and he would get regular care packages in the mail from home, and they had really good stuff in them, it seemed like, because I saw crumbs on his bed. But he never ate it when any of us were around, and it was in a locker with a locked deadbolt underneath his bed. It's really annoying. <laughs> Whenever we hoard... At its core, we don't believe that we'll have enough. We don't believe that God will be enough for us. In much of the tradition, gluttony actually becomes sin when our excess means that there is less to give to the poor. When our excess means it hinders our ability to be free toward others. When we are gorging so much that we're not giving anything away. When we're hoarding so much that we're not free with what we have toward others. For all the stuffing, the grabbing, the grasping for more, here's, here's the radical uh, disorientation to all of our gluttony. God's heart is to give us all that we need. Now it's true that um, all that we need may not be all that we want. But God's heart is to give us all that we need. If you've ever read C.S. Lewis's The Last Battle, there's this scene um, that I'll read for you. Aslan raised his head and shook his mane. Instantly, a glorious feast appeared on the dwarf's knees. Pies and tongues I guess that was a feast then. <clears throat> Pies and tongues and pigeons and trifles and ices. And each dwarf had a goblet of good wine in his right hand. But it wasn't much use. They began eating and drinking greedily enough, but it was clear they couldn't taste it properly. They thought they were eating and drinking only the sort of things you might find in a stable. One said he was trying to eat hay, and another said he had a had got a bit of old turnip, and a third said he'd found a raw cabbage leaf. You see, said Aslan, they will not let us help them. They have chosen cunning instead of belief. Their prison is only in their own minds, yet they are in that prison, and so afraid of being taken in that they cannot be taken out. This is what gluttony will do to us. This is what all the vices will do to us. They will lock us in a prison and they will actually hinder us from being able to receive the goodness and the grace and the gift and the pleasure that God does freely want to give. So each week 
we've been giving a practice as a way to resist um, each vice. Last week around lust, uh, I actually failed to give it. So I just it's friendship. Lust is a way of being at odds with other people. It's a way of human disconnection. It's trying to use other people in ways that are not whole. And as an antidote to that is friendship. It seems, at least in this story, God's antidote to gluttony and distrust is, is Sabbath. It's on this seventh day, actually totally trusting God, trusting that you'll have enough, not gathering anything, and just receiving the bread for that day. It's amazing how many of these vices Sabbath works as a potential uh, practice. It's trusting that God is enough. Another uh, practice that uh, has often um, been offered here is fasting. Some of us in different ways are fasting during Lent. Fasting is actually a way of resting from food. Resting from the kind of control food can have over us. It's a way of returning to the truth that we crave God more than we crave anything else. And good desires left to themselves can actually take on far more attention than they deserve. And food's like that. Alcohol's like that. Sweets are like that. For me, it's bread and potatoes. It can just take up too much. And it's actually a freeing thing to step away from that and say, you know what? I don't need that to live. That's a lie. And I'm going to pursue something different. Alexander Schmiemann said, humans are hungry beings, but we're hungry for God. Behind all the hunger of our life is God. All desire is finally a desire for God. Would you pray with me? The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.